So I want to point out that no elected federal politician or probably more importantly, environmental NGO advocates for a vision or a commensurate strategy to stop, let alone reverse heating. We hear them talk about climate action, climate mitigation, but we never hear that big picture. What are we actually trying to achieve? That's Bryony Edwards introducing the second session of the Climate Cooling Mini-Summit in Melbourne on February 24. The Climate Cooling Mini-Summit was a part of the Sustainable Living Festival, the Melbourne-based Sustainable Living Festival. Yes, welcome to this latest episode of Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Session 2 at the Climate Cooling Mini Summit was entitled Australia's Climate Rescue Accord. And it's about political parties working together on a climate rescue platform to stop and reverse global heating. The Climate Rescue Accord began as climate policy talks between political parties. The resulting accord working group committed to pursue what was required to stop and reverse warming, build a suite of policy options underpin the three R's, that's reduce, remove and repair, get other parties, independents and organisations on board. Join me now as we listen to that near one hour session. Hi everyone and welcome to the Climate Rescue Accord presentation and panel discussion uh, within the Climate Cooling Mini Summit uh, with the Sustainable Living Festival. We are the Climate Rescue Accord and this is our website www.climaterescue.net. So first up we'll have a quick uh, uh, presentation with myself, Bryony Edwards and with Rob Bakes and then we'll go on to a Q&A with the Climate Rescue Accord Working Group, which includes Mick Eight, also known for the uh, Sustainable Hour, Rob Bakes from Vote Climate One, Antoinette Pitt from the Australian Progressive Party, Dr Adam Cardellini from Animal Justice Party, and myself, Bryony Edwards from Fusion Party. So before we start, I'll acknowledge that we're meeting on the unceded lands of the traditional owners and pay my respects to Elders past and present, recognising a continuing connection to land, sea and culture, and I'm calling in from Wurundjeri land. So the Climate Rescue Accord began as a climate policy discussion between individuals from federally registered Australian parties in June 2023. Um, We started as four parties. Uh, It included the Reason Party, which unfortunately disbanded in uh, January this year. So a working group resulted The working group committed to a vision of pursuing what was required to stop and reverse global heating with the ultimate vision of restoring a safe climate. Naturally, that's a global vision uh, and we are an Australian group, but we, we still think it's really important to have that global vision because a successful outcome requires both that big vision in this case, to stop and reverse heating, restore a safe climate, as well as commensurate action to achieve that vision. And you can't do it without both those two things when when the ambition is so great. 
And the commensurate action in this case we see as the three R's, reduce, remove and repair. And I'm, I'm thinking a lot of people in this presentation, I can't see how many there are, were hopefully at the last session, um, the global cooling session, with Operati Arctis um, from Finland and David Spratt. So you would have picked up a lot about what we're going to talk about with the Climate Rescue Accord if you were in that session. So I want to point out that no elected federal politician or probably more importantly, environmental NGO advocates for a vision or a commensurate strategy to stop, let alone reverse heating. We hear them talk about climate action, climate mitigation, but we never hear that big picture. What are we actually trying to achieve? And that's really important that we state this. So the onto the commensurate actions. You know, we borrowed this lovely chart from Breakthrough, uh, the reduce, remove, repair chart. On the left, we have the y-axis of impacts and temperature increases. On the x-axis, we have time. The red dotted line shows the, the threshold above which we have the danger level for cascading impacts and hothouse earth or runaway warming. We're already most likely above that line in that real danger zone. We, uh, we, the, we have the current path there that we're on, the black line. We need to go fast to emissions. Even if we could click our fingers today, we, we'd still be above the danger threshold, most likely, because there's so much heat already in the system. So then we need to suck down all the excess carbon dioxide. That, that takes about a century. Um, that takes a long time. Um, and so we're still above the danger zone. So we need this Band-Aid in the meantime of active cooling to get below and or stay below that, that threshold. We need to do these things simultaneously. It's not a staged process. It's an all-at-once process. Um, just a bit on reduce. Obviously, this means uh, zero or near zero across all sectors, not just our stationary energy and transport, also construction, consumption, land use, etc. And of course, this means stopping and phasing out fossil fuels, including our exports, and preventing and phasing out sources of methane release. Very importantly, because it's such a, you know it's a hundred times more potent a greenhouse gas than CO two. Um, on the drawdown side, of course, we want to use all those natural means available to us. But it's important to sort of think, well, we that probably won't be enough on its own because emissions were released, were released when those ecosystems were destroyed in the first place. We've also got the additional emissions from burning fossil fuels for all these um, decades, centuries. Um, so we need to facilitate urgent R&D into direct air capture of greenhouse gases um, and use those ones currently available to us. And we're not talking about offsets here. We're not talking about drawdown in lieu of emissions reductions. We're talking about simultaneous action. Now, onto the third R. Um, this chart gives a nice illustration of what we're talking about. We're talking about... In most cases for repair, the third R, we're talking about active cooling, solar radiation management, making the earth more reflective. 
Um, so if we, you know, you can do it really up high in space. This is this is this is all. A lot of this is just completely theoretical. Up in space with sunshades or mirrors, um, using uh, stratospheric aerosols, right down to the ground level, whitening roofs, lightening the colour of crops. I've also heard studies of what, how much of the earth we would need to cover with mirrors to reflect the appropriate amount of heat. Really pertinently, we are already creating 0.4 degrees to 1.5 degrees of cooling by burning fossil fuels because burning fossil fuels releases aerosols into the stratosphere that reflect heat. So we're already doing this. It's really important to understand what it means going forward. If we went to zero today, we would see that cooling drop and our, our temperature would jump. So for um, repair, what we're what the Climate Rescue Accord is asking for is urgent R&D and international cooperation in the area of immediate cooling. We need to find out what is safe. Is it safe or not? We need to at least research this very quickly. So we need to, and we need to do it to compensate for the loss of the aerosol masking effect as we reduce fossil fuel emissions. And we will most likely need additional cooling until reduce and remove can achieve a safe climate on their own. So noting that there are calls, many calls from a few, a few corners for a moratorium on real world research into solar radiation management. And these calls are coming from um, NGOs, environmental NGOs. They're coming from some climate scientists. And the arguments against using solar radiation management are the potential side effects, you know, which are, 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 are pretty serious potentially. And because there's no international governing body for this for solar radiation management. And quite importantly, it would reduce the incentive for zero emissions if global warming was no longer seen as an immediate threat. So just to reiterate, why do we need R&D into repair active cooling? Because of the aerosol masking effect, because as we go to zero, temperatures will jump. We are already too hot. The impacts from current warming are unacceptable. The death and destruction is unacceptable. We need to stop it. Um, and that we were, um, in 2023, we were at, 1.48 degrees above of average warming, you know, round up to 1.5. And we are at the threshold of runaway warming at 1.5 degrees. So we're already seeing those positive feedback loops spin, speeding up warming. There is no time to lose. Um, what does the IPCC say about solar radiation management? So it's... Uh, really can be summed up by uh, the, the positions of two different climate scientists really well, and it was summed up in a conversation article recently, which um, I'll post the link. Um, this is Michael Mann. He is very big in the IPCC. He says net zero by 2050 with steep initial cuts is adequate to uh, stop warming. Um, and then we have James Hansen. If you're above 50, you will remember, you know, David Spratt just talked about James Hansen. If you are above 50, you might remember him presenting to US Congress about 
global warming back in 1988. That's when I first became really aware of global warming. Um, so this conversation article, the, disagree the disagreement between two climate scientists that could decide our future, linked there. The question that the climate scientists that wrote this conversation article pose is, is reducing new emissions and permanently reducing past emissions enough on its own to prevent warming from reaching levels that threaten our economic and social stability? Michael Mann would say yes. James Hansen says while doing the first two R's, reduce and remove, are essential, they are no longer sufficient and we also must make Earth more reflective. And then to the question, how much cooling are fossil, fossil fuel aerosols causing? Michael Mann says 0 0.4 degrees of cooling. So Michael Mann is embedded in IPCC orthodoxy um, and, it, uh, you know, with the models that they are using. And James Hansen says we are creating up to one and a half degrees of cooling. And he also says that recent changes in aerosols will cause a strong increase in warming. He said that back in, I think, 2020, in relation to the drops in, uh, you know, the shipping industry was cleaned up, we saw a huge drop in their aerosols. And he saw that was going to be um, cause for uh, accelerated warming. So the Accord scope of work, the Climate Rescue Accord, you know, we've talked, what, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get other political players to adopt the three R's. And we're talking about grassroots, environmental NGOs, candidates, sitting MPs. And we want to engage those that have endorsed the three R's to develop commensurate policy to underpin the three R's, not just tick it off and, and then not really uh, spruik what's required. And we also want to recognise political players that endorse the three R's. Before I go any further, I'm going to spruik our Climate Rescue Accord workshop that's this Wednesday, the 28th, at, um, from 7.30 to 9.30 Melbourne time, and you can book at the sustainable, sustainabilityfestival.au um, under look, searching for Climate Rescue Accord Working Group. And the workshop will compare what's required to stop and reverse warming against proposals from select parties and independents. It will also workshop how policy frameworks can be improved. So please come to that if you can. Um, so back to the question, how do we get other political players endorsing and adopting the three R's? For that, I am now going to hand over to Rob Bakes from Vote Climate One. We're really lucky to have Rob in our working group because he runs the Climate Traffic Light Voting Guide. This is really strategic um, for what the Climate Rescue Accord wants to achieve. So, Rob, are you there? Firstly, I, I'd like to pay my respects to First Nations people and in relation to where I live in central Victoria, to the Kulin Nation, the Tungurung and their elders. Australia needs minority government. This is a silver bullet for decisive government action and leadership on the climate emergency. This silver bullet has the potential to decimate the influence of bad actors like Woodside, Santos and the CFMEU. So where does Vote Climate One stand in relation to the three R's? For our team, this big idea has the potential to give not just political parties, but the whole of the Australian collective an understanding of the essence of the climate 
crisis. It maps a clear pathway to what we need to do to rescue the climate. If we embrace its insight, we can stop arguing, put the merchants of doubt behind us and collaborate with new hope and vigour. If we can accept the three R's will guide us through what we have to do, all our energy can be channeled into how to get it done. This has always been the missing piece to the puzzle, how to create sufficient political will in Canberra to address the climate emergency. Traffic light voting is our contribution to help rectify a situation which has blocked progress for so long. Traffic light voting harnesses the power of preferential voting to create a new political paradigm which can further erode support for the major parties to the point where a progressive crossbench holds the balance of power in the lower house. In the ACT, the combined policies over many years of Labor and Greens minority governments is an example of what can be achieved. The ACT illustrates how minority government can deliver positive outcomes for climate. Amongst other substantive achievements, ACT is powered by 100% renewable energy. So what is traffic light voting? This video from the recent New South Wales state election should give you all an idea of the elegant simplicity of this advice to empower voters to elect the best available representatives for climate action. Step one is to go to the front page of voteclimate1.org.au and find your electorate. To illustrate how this works, I'm going to click on L and then Lismore. Hey presto, up comes the Lismore electorate instructions on my screen. There are three buttons on the left of the screen to bring up the guides, view, print and download. I'm going to click on print to print the upper house and lower house instructions. Okay, here's the Lismore guide I printed. Tells me there are three green light candidates, which I will number one to three in order of my choice. There is only one orange candidate, which I will number four. Lastly, I will number the four red light candidates with the numbers five to eight. Okay, take these guides with you when you cast your vote, or take your phone with you and bring them up on the screen. The bonus which comes with traffic light voting, a safer future for Esther and Joseph. What do you think, Esther? Vote final one. What do you think, Peppa? Thank you, uh, Bonnie. So here is a note on the Vote Climate One website in relation to the upcoming federal by-election in Dunkley, Victoria. Please note that the major parties have not been assessed on climate policy for their traffic light rating. We have ranked the Liberal candidate ahead of Labor to facilitate climate action through a push towards minority Labor government. This is not an indication that the Libs have a better climate policy than Labor. But if Labor can be pulled back to 72 or even 70 seats 
in the next federal election, the influence of a progressive crossbench could transform Australia's political landscape. A Labor win in Dunkley will only maintain rather than erode Labor's majority. Our traffic light assessment for the major parties will change depending on whether you happen to be voting in a marginal or safe seat. At this point, let's acknowledge the role of the Teals and community independents who have changed the culture of Australian politics. Their weakening of the coalition's parliamentary representation has strengthened Vote Climate One's hand when advising voters in a two-party contest. How can you, what can you do to help rescue our climate? At the last federal election, a small under-resourced Vote Climate One team ran an on-the-ground campaign in the seat of Canberra. There was a hard copy mail-out, core flute advertising, and the distribution of traffic light voting guides at pre-polling and on election day itself. Despite the slim resources, the campaign did have a statistically measurable influence on the election result. I won't say we got David Pocock into the Senate, Senate, but we certainly helped with that. Lastly, I would like to introduce you to Kate the Climate Cat and her larrikin version of the three R's. You can find her booklet in a slider on the front page of our website, voteclimate1.org.au. We also have hard copies available. Thank you, everyone. All right, we'll hand over to Mick now, who will do the Q&A. Please put any questions in the Q&A function. Questions haven't arrived yet, so I'm thinking maybe we should just start with a question that we are very often asked and which uh, the group which was speaking from Finland earlier on also uh, were asked. And that is the, the obvious question is, you know, it's like, are we working for the fossil fuel industry here? You know, it's it's a good excuse for the fossil fuel industry if we are successful with finding out how we can cool the planet in one way or the other, then that would just allow for the continuation of uh, burning even more fossil fuels, wouldn't it? So, uh, Adam, what would be your answer to that question? Uh, you know, isn't it just an excuse for the fossil fuel industry to continue what they're doing? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question and one to be aware of when we um, pursue any of these actions um, that we're not being captured or used by um, nefarious means. We're seeing similar things happening with uh, denial of um, wind farms and um, solar farms. So certainly something to be aware of. But I suppose what we're saying is that this is a package that is required um a pack of, of actions that are required all together. They are um, complementary and they have to be delivered um, all together, uh, or at least that uh, we must have zero emissions immediately, as quickly as possible, um, draw down, and then we need to be seriously considering and doing R&D into cooling. Uh, as political parties and as um, as legislators, if we get legislators into, um, into parliament, then they can put in stipulations in policy saying that it's not possible to um, have cooling without those other um, commensurate actions. So, Definitely aware of this. Um, I certainly am not a shill for the climate, um, for, for fossil fuel industries, and no one else on the team is. Um, but it's something that we need to 
as we move forward with these conversations, make very clear that these are three levers that we need to pull um, all together. It's not one or the other uh, in the same way that we can't reach a safe climate with just definitely not net zero, but even um, even uh, full zero, um, we can't do the same with um, just cooling. Cooling is a short-term action to help us uh, achieve safe passage through to a safe climate. So we have a question here from Jenny. Uh, as we are coming up to the next federal election, what guarantee is there that the crossbenchers will be pro the climate accord uh, and, and climate action? Over to you, Rob, to that one. What guarantee? Well, that's a good question. We want them to sign on to the accord and we do a, a very thorough assessment, especially of independence. And um, I think they've proved in the current parliament, in the Senate, what a wonderful influence they, they've got. Imagine if they actually had the balance of power. So when we say progressive crossbench, we're not talking about those red light parties. We're talking about green light parties and green light candidates. Another question, I, I think we'll stay with you, Rob, on this one. And this is a question about disinformation as uh, it's seen already in the Dunkley by-election. How can we counter the, for instance, the advanced Australia dissemination of, of disinformation? This is from Bronwyn. Well, I suppose when you do an on, as we did in Canberra, we did an on-ground, uh, sorry, we did a hard copy mail-out uh, to every household in the Canberra election. And, um, and that nailed a lot of those things. And a lot of people say, oh, don't, we don't, no one wants to use paper anymore. Uh, but sometimes to cut through the noise, I think paper may, we may have to use paper as well. So we, when we assess candidates, we say red light candidates are dangerous. That's how we describe them. So whatever disinformation they're putting out, we're telling the voters it's dangerous to vote for these people. Make sure you preference the green and the orange light candidates um, uh, before that. And remember, uh, there are voters that won't listen to candidates and this, uh, who won't listen to the propaganda, as they see it, from candidates because it's so egotistical. But when we put something out and it's, and we're not saying who to put first, even. We're not even asked telling them which numbers. We're just saying who to preference before the others. I think a lot of people we found in Canberra, they, we got a lot of feedback that people were so grateful to have something that was a, a little arm's length from the fight, you know, the, the electorate fight. Here's one for you, Brownie. Um, and that's about another party that's going to be very active in the next election, the Greens. How how do the Greens stand on this accord that we everything we've talked about here, uh, geoengineering and the rest of these questions? And and ha has the, the the Greens been approached by by this uh, working group? Yep. So uh, back in so we started in the the accord started in June 2023. In September we ran um, our inaugural live stream, and David Spratt presented at that, and the 
um, there was a pre presentation panel discussion that was really good. We invited the crossbench, we inv invited every registered party. Uh, it was hard to know who actually attended. I don't know if any Greens attended. We haven't reached out, other than that, we haven't reached out specifically to the Greens other than conversations with people I know are Greens members and so on and asked them to get on board and join us. I, and I, I know, look, the Greens are big. There's really a broad, as in any party, there's a, lots of opposing opinions on all different things within the Greens. I do know there, I do know of specific voices in the Greens that are anti the third R. Um, I'm sure there are people in the Greens that are pro the third R and, and the whole package of the three R's. Um, I think we definitely need to do a lot more targeted um, education and, and you know, on the back of this we will be reaching out to different parties. We have a few parties in the wings coming to join us, which is really exciting. So um, we'll, be, we'll be reaching out to the Greens specifically and if, if there are any Greens members or, or Greens representatives that happen to be listening, please get in touch. You're with Climate Conversations. Listen to a discussion from the recent Climate Cooling Mini Summit. This discussion is about Australia's Climate Rescue Accord. So I have a question here for you, Adam, and then afterwards over to Antoinette. Uh, this one is about uh, aerosol active cooling. It's Rock who's asking, these techniques are inherently uncertain, especially at the global scale. For instance, the risk of collapse of the South Asian monsoon uh, from this kind of sulfate brightening. So can you talk a little bit about the risks uh, when, when we talk about the aerosols, Adam? Yeah, and I think um, the previous session did a really great job of describing the risks, risk profiles of different um, different techniques and, and that risk is not static, that we must balance the risk of action against the risk of inaction. So um, I think all, the conversation needs to be had within that context. And thanks for the question, Rob, because it's a really good one. For the climate rescue accord, what we're saying is that we need to have R&D into um, all, all types of, um, of techniques. And that includes those various ways of reflecting um, reflecting radiation from Earth and including, you know, the solar mirrors, which is maybe a bit far-fetched, although I did see something recently where a country was um, was planning something in that regard. Uh, the stratospheric aerosol injection, which is often talked about a lot, all the way down to um, uh, lightening Earth's surface. And this is already being done in some places where I think in California, they um, have lightened roads to get a localised cooling effect. All of those things come within the conversation of repair, of cooling. And I think what's happened in the conversation to this point is that stratospheric aerosol injection has been um, presented as all of the options for solar radiation management, or they've been conflated together. So whenever we talk about solar radiation management, people are actually, and, and people are getting sort of very worried about that. They're often meaning they're worried about solar aerosol, uh, uh, stratospheric aerosol injection, which I think is a valid concern. Um, so I think first I'd like to say that we need to have a more nuanced discussion of all of the technologies and that if you're a if you're someone that doesn't really vibe with um, with stratospheric aerosol injection, I imagine like 
I believe there's going to be parties that are also take that position. What we're trying to get happen in the conversation is that we start talk start talking about repair and calling as an action that we we need to definitely think about and do research into and act on if the research um, suggests that it will help us get to a safe climate. Um, but parties will differ in which approaches they will support, for instance. So you might um, you might agree with whitening of roads and roofs, and that means that you're you're good for repair. That's that's a repair action, um, but you're not into um, stratospheric aerosol injection. So you go for the party that is supporting um, those sorts of actions. This is where we get the um, the political competition, right? Um, but everyone, all we're hoping that all parties eventually come on board, saying that we at least need um, reduction, removal, and repair. They need to be the details in that. That's that can be a political political conversation. In terms of the the particular question you've got about um, aerosol injection being being dangerous. I think that there certainly needs to be far more research into this. And if it doesn't lead to a safe climate or it has too high risks, then we we wouldn't support it. That's that's my position. Um, but if we find that it the risk profile of not acting is um, is worse than the risk profile of acting, then we need to have that discussion. And for so the and one of the reasons that we think that this is really important is because the we are already in a very unsafe climate. Uh, part of the Animal Justice Party, we are we have seen species go extinct because of climate change. In Australia, the first mammalian species um, gone extinct in Australia um, in the world was in Australian territory from climate change. We see um, there's bats in Australia that have had 30% of their populations die in, in two days. We are already in crisis. Animals, ecosystems, people, we need every action that we can to get to a safe climate. And we believe that repair is part of that action set. Antoinette, can you describe uh, what does the accord, the Climate Rescue Accord, mean for a political party and, and the process of creating a, a climate policy and so on? So a little bit on, on the positive side, maybe uh, in describing uh, how has the, the Climate Rescue Accord helped the Australian progressives with, with your climate policy? Um, so well, I actually think the Climate Rescue Accord is actually very empowering for um, the voters for just people to, um, as uh, Rob Bates is talking about with his, his traffic light system, it just helps people who n know and recognise what dire straits we are actually in to um, be able to identify who they need to get into power, who they need to take out of power <laughs> um, in order for change to happen. Um, and at the moment, um, it's a matter of having to sift through every individual party's policies um, to have a look at what's happening. Um, and also, we've got preferential voting. So you need to be voting for more than one party. You need to number all your boxes. Um, and you don't want to be accidentally putting a party who you may agree with their other policies, um, but they're actually not very good for the environment. Um, so by having this climate accord, it is a very easy way for people to work out, are you with the climate accord? Yes, cool, all right, you're in my preferences. Very easy for people and very empowering. Um, and it's the way we're going to get change to happen. I mean, um, we're all screaming, we're going on the streets, we're, we're trying to get things happening. Um, but unless there's people up in the decision-making factory that are going to listen 
nothing is going to change. Um, and so hopefully by seeing that parties can work together and acknowledge, yeah, this is like the minimum that we need to happen in order to save our environment, um, that is what's going to get us across the line and get changes happening and, and help help us have a safe future. We have uh, more questions coming in. So here's one from Peter. What are your strategies for getting the major environmental NGOs on board with cooling? At present, organizations like ACF and the Climate Council are resisting any discussion about solar radiation and so on. Over to you, Bryony. Thanks, Mick, and great question. Uh, we have made uh, initial attempts. We weren't expecting them to be successful, and they weren't successful. Um, my sense is with the environmental NGOs, the big ones in Australia, they're not leaders. They We saw with the climate emergency declaration, they fought the use of the word emergency. The first declaration was in 2016. That was Darabin Council. It slowly took off around the world. It was not until hundreds of councils had declared that the those ENGOs then went and, and quietly that they jumped on the bandwagon and and tried to shape it to their uh, I won't they they sort of jumped on the bandwagon and grabbed the reins so they will I, I think it's sort of an operation you know that large environmental NGOs um, the the grassroots do a lot of work and then the environmental NGOs sort of say, okay, we'll fund this, we'll, we'll help with this and we'll sort of appear to be taking the lead on this. Um, that's a very cynical view, but that's what I've seen happen. And um, I don't expect buy-in from any of the environmental NGOs anytime soon. Although, can I jump in there, Bryony, and just say, I think this is also, um, Peter, part of that disentangling um, of the conversation about cooling and having a more nuanced discussion. There was a recent article in the conversation um, by Tim Flannery, who's part of the Climate Council, I believe, um, and they talk, and it was basically, yeah, we need to go zero emissions we and it was good to see that they started talking about drawdown. We should be doing some drawdown, which is you know a, a movement in the discussion for some of the larger NGOs, unfortunately. Um, and then saying quite strongly, we shouldn't be going the SRM route, right? But even within that article, I, there's a there's a line that he 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 says, which is like we shouldn't be using solar radiation management, which I think he meant um, uh, stratospheric aerosol injection. But then he said, but, you know, things like um, painting roofs white, they're fine. So actually, they do agree with with cooling, some for forms of cooling, some types of technology of cooling, cooling techniques that have a lower risk profile. So I think if we can sort of open the conversation, like actually push the conversation, force them to join the conversation and have this more um, more nuanced discussion, we can really open up that discussion and say, well, yes, we all agree that repair is is necessary, but it's we we differ on how we think that repair should occur. And that's where then we we can we can really push for the um the research. All all of this stuff should be done based on ethical and scientific justification. 
And can I just add to that, that, uh, you know, never underestimate the importance of, as you're saying, Adam, of pushing a discussion. I think, if anything, that we can say that we achieved with, with this campaign that we ran, we started in 2016, and we've been running now for seven years, about the, the fact that you could declare a climate emergency and something that has then been done by 2,300 councils and also governments around the world and so on. Maybe the most important of it all was the introduction of the word emergency, which has now become the way we talk about climate. Climate change has been replaced by climate emergency all over in media, mainstream, everywhere. So, so that has pushed the discussion. And I think the Climate Accord has that uh, potential as well to, to push the discussion so that we begin to talk about the realities uh, as, as we see them. We're getting close to four minutes left till we have to end. I was thinking maybe uh, if uh, anyone from our group would like to just say a few words, like an invitation to that we would like people to come to our workshop. We've all, You mentioned that already, Bryony. But also uh, uh, that we are still on the lookout for people who would like to join us in this work, in the work group and so on. Bryony, over to you. Yeah, and I just want to say, we haven't really pointed out, we, we are different political parties working together. This is kind of rare and we, it's a great, uh, you know, we, it's a great collaboration. We work so positively together and, you know, we're bringing our parties along with us and we want others to join us. So please come and join us. And I'd, I'd add to that um, that there was a question earlier around how do we how do we deal with misinformation? And you know, there's some really great science and evidence around um, both inoculating people against misinformation, but also debunking. But having requiring those two things in conjunction um, for any sort of good um, protection against misinformation. And you know, coming on board and helping out with like just writing some stuff or, or creating some um, some posters and flyers and things that we can start to actually push this out, that people, if they're going to their political party, can come can grab some resources to use. At the moment, we're four, five people and um, it's, uh, it's a fair amount of work, but we can always use hands for that sort of stuff. And then, of course, um, definitely get in touch, come to the workshop if you are interested in thinking about how to get your... Um, the, the party you're involved with or the local ENGO that you're involved with um, or any other group or uh, of people that you're involved with on board. Um, we can, we'll be sort of thinking about how do you go through that process? We've, we've done that with our own parties so far. And so we're, we're wanting to try and facilitate that for more organisations um, and political parties. Antoinette? Um, yeah, yeah. Go out there. Talk to your representatives. Ask them, are you with the Climate Accord? Have you signed on? Have you talked to them? If they haven't, ask them why not. Get them involved. We all need to work together to get this happening. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's past the tipping point now. We have to get in there repairing. I'm not willing to accept for my kids, oh, we've damaged the environment a little bit, but you can live with it. I want to repair it. I want to get it back to a livable, comfortable environment and get our ecosystems back up and functioning how they were meant to be happening. Um, so, yeah, come along and join us. Make the jobs easier for us by spreading out the work. And, Rob, just for a very short, brief comment. Yeah, I'm just going to mention Kate the Climate Cat because <laughs> um, a lot of people are daunted by all this sort of very intellectual stuff. Grab on to Kate. She's written a booklet and it's got cartoons in it. It's a sort of like a comic strip, but it it has this same message. So if you want to do something, 
get get cake out there in trains on train stations everywhere. Let's get Kate out there telling people about climate rescue. Thank you. That's all from the Climate Rescue Accord Working Group. We hope to see you again. This is about not accepting the damage that's happening. You know, in front of our eyes every day when we open the news, uh, it's about not being indifferent and to try and protect what we believe is important. Now, please don't forget this event has been recorded and so you'll find the link for that. It'll be on the Breakthrough site. Also, Bryony talked about an event as a part of the National Sustainable Living Festival on Wednesday night. And you'll find the link for that in the show notes as well. Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you along. Now, before I go, I urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be alerted every time I publish a new episode. Beyond that, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me via email at number 7 at iCloud.com. Now, I want to know what you think about this podcast. Good or bad, don't hold back. Please let me know. Also, I'd love you to share this with your friends. I think you should put it on your networks, let them know what's going on with the climate crisis. Encourage them to listen to the podcast. So until we talk again, I urge you all to take care, stay safe, and please be kind. For everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. Now please take care and stay safe.